Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. In the U.S. alone, approximately 720,000 heart attacks occur every year. Some 380,000 people die annually from heart disease. I'm told that every time we exhale, someone in the United States has a heart attack. We've all, many of you in this room today have experienced a heart attack or you have had some heart issues or you have family members who have and and so you know what that is all about. One of the leading causes of heart disease is a disease called arterial sclerosis or hardening of the arteries and it results from cholesterol deposits as I understand it, obviously I'm no medical person, or plaque buildup on the walls of the arteries which block the blood flow. Interestingly, the, the, the word used in our text here for the hardening of our hearts spiritually is the word from which this word comes. The word uh, uh, sclerosis, uh, again, also from the word used here, uh, scleruno, which is a, a hardening uh, a condition uh, is, uh, of the hardening of the spiritual heart. And just as the physical heart issues are very detrimental to our health. So this spiritual hardening of the heart is spiritually and eternally a deadly condition. One of the passages in the Old Testament in Exodus, we read about the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and how he hardened his heart against the Lord. And then the Bible says, as judgment on his sin of hardening his heart, God further hardened his heart. Well, I want to remind you that here in the book of Hebrews, we are seeing this theme of consider Jesus. He is infinitely greater. We've already seen that the writer speaks of how he is greater than angels. And now beginning in, uh, as in last week's text in chapter 3, he deals with the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses. And so he's continuing in that idea in, in our text today. And dealing with this passage, and since I've read it to you, I'll just uh, say uh, there's uh, not always agreement on this particular text. In fact, I shared with you when we began the series of Hebrews that that uh, many pastors uh, sort of avoid preaching through the book of Hebrews because it's a challenging book. But it is inspired by the Spirit of God, and God's given it to us, and we need it. Amen? And so uh, this particular passage, some people say, well, who is he talking about here? Is he talking about the hardening of the heart? Is he talking about unbelievers. Some believe when he calls them uh, brothers in the text that he's really talking about them as Jewish brothers since most of them came from the uh, Jewish background having uh, been uh, a part of Judaism before coming to faith in Christ. Uh, On the other hand, some believe he is speaking uh, to believers. Uh, So which is it? Uh, Well, I believe the answer is yes. Uh, He is speaking here to those who are professing believers, certainly, because they are a part of this local church. But as I remind you, there were many in this church, obviously, it was reported that they were beginning to uh, consider leaving uh, their Christian faith and returning to Judaism. Perhaps that had not happened yet. And so at this point in the writing of the 
Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, is, is warning them of the danger of that. And he's warning them against hardening their heart. And so that's what we see. So he's, he's writing them as those he still considers brothers, but warning them. And again, reminding us, and, and he's using here the, the, the Hebrew uh, children of Israel uh, as an example. He, uh, he quotes from Psalm 95 at the beginning, verses 7 through 11, where again, he's, where the psalmist there warns the Jews again about this very matter, not to repeat the mistake that those children of Israel did who came through the wilderness and, and hardened their heart against the Lord and therefore had to remain until that generation died out for 40 years before uh, the next generation could enter in to the promised land. We'll see that a little bit more in a few moments. But they rebelled against God, they hardened their hearts, and they suffered the consequences. So the writer of Hebrews was warning, uh, or rather of Psalms, was warning those Jewish believers. Uh, and now the writer of Hebrews, taking that Psalm, is warning these, these uh, New Testament believers uh, about the same danger of a hardened heart. So he's urging this church of professing believers not to make this same mistake and go back, leave Christ and go back to Judaism. So I want you to consider with me from this passage three primary truths as we consider warning, don't harden your heart. First of all, notice if you will, the path toward a hardened heart. The path toward a hardened heart. Now what we're going to do is look basically throughout this passage. It's a, a little bit longer passage and we're not going to deal with every detail, but we are going to look throughout the passage at what I believe are several characteristics or even causes uh, toward a hardened heart on this path downward toward a hardened heart. And I'm going to urge you today as we consider these one by one that you ask the Lord to examine your heart about any of these signs, if you will, in these causes on the, that lead toward on the path toward a hardened heart. Notice the first one mentioned several times is unbelief toward God and his word. Unbelief toward God and his word. Right off there in verse uh, 9, he again begins to talk about these, uh, these believers from, from uh, rather the, uh, these Hebrew uh, children of Israel there in the wilderness. In verse uh, 9, he starts there that, that if they not follow the same pattern, he said, where, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. So for 40 years, the children of Israel tested the Lord. And if you, you know, as you've read the book of Exodus, some of you have been a part of the two-year plan. And of course, we preached a, one message from the book of Exodus looking at it and, and all throughout the journey. And we see it throughout their, their wilderness experience. Uh, they were complaining. They were being negative. They were doubting God. They were being rebellious. They were grumbling against the Lord and against Moses. So they were putting God to the test. And, and think about what they had experienced already. Think about the fact that, that God had so miraculously delivered them 
from uh, the Pharaoh there in Egypt after going through that series of plagues. And, and God miraculously uh, made it possible for them and delivered them, if you will, from the Pharaoh and from the Egyptians, brought them through the, the Red Sea on dry land. The, the sea then enveloped and drowned Pharaoh's army who were pursuing them. As they took them through the, the wilderness, they, they, God provided for them miraculously in the wilderness, manna from heaven, quail, uh, water from the rock. He took care of them. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. God just continued to show his favor toward them and his blessing toward them, oftentimes in spite of their, their bellyache and their complaining, their negativity. He continued to, to provide for them and forgive them and have mercy toward them. And then they came right up to the, to the promised land, the Canaan land that God had told them he was going to give to them. And they sent 12 spies into the land. And, and again, not to see whether or not they could take the land, but just to size it up. And so you remember the story. They came back the 12 spies returned 10 out of the 12 spies said they're they're giants in the land we look like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants they're so big and so strong they'll stomp us like grasshoppers we can't do it and the people they they said we knew it why didn't you just let us stay in Egypt did you have to bring us out here to die in the wilderness let's get a new pastor a new leader to take us back to Egypt I mean they begin to complain and be negative and and rebel against God and only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, were the only two out of the bunch that said, no, 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 God's, God's promised this for us. We can do this. God's going to enable us. But they listened to the, the majority report, and they rebelled against God. And as a result of that, God, of course, prevented them, that generation, from entering in. And so once again, they, it was unbelief as we continue to see this. In fact, in, in verse 12, he refers to unbelief as, as an, he said, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. An, an unbelieving heart is an evil thing. He finishes out in, in verse uh, 19. He says, so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So again, this lack of faith is not being willing to take God at his word was, was the first, I believe, path, the first step, if you will, on the path toward a hardened Heart. So he's warning them here about this. And then notice the second uh, step on the path toward a hardened heart is straying from God in one's heart. Look, uh, if you will, again at verse number 10. He said, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart heart. I want to remind you again, as, as Solomon wrote in, in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, folks, that's where sin starts. It starts in the heart. That's where it started with these people. They, uh, they begin to stray from God in their heart. What is the heart? The heart is our inmost being. We're not merely talking here about uh, what that part of our, our human anatomy that pumps blood, but we're talking about our inmost being. That's how scripture uses this terminology. The children of Israel strayed in their inmost being from, from trusting, from believing God. And this led them, of course, ultimately to disastrous 
actions. It led them to rebellion. They, the rebellion began in their heart. And again, when we fail to trust God in our inmost being, we're on the path toward a hardened heart that leads us to rebel against God. Think about it, for example, in the incident when Moses was, was in the mountain a long time and he was receiving the commandments from God. He was gone a long time. What happened to the people? They began to think, well, hey, what, what's happened to Moses? Maybe Moses has died up there. And what are we going to do? Who's going to lead us? So in their rebellious hearts, that, that sin, that straying that began in their hearts, they began to invent. Someone has said that the, the heart is an idol factory. How true that is. And they began then to, to uh, they said to, to Aaron, we want a golden calf. We want a God we can see. Moses may not come back. We want a, a, a God we can see to worship. And so they had him, they gave all their, their gold and various things and they had him make a golden calf calf to worship, but the sin started in their heart. Let me ask you today, are, are, you, are you straying from God in your heart? The writer has already warned us about drifting. That's where drifting begins. That's where straying begins. Could that be happening to you right now? Are there areas in your life of neglect that are indicators that you're beginning to stray to drift in your heart. Friend, I want to warn you today that you're on the step, you're on the path toward a hardened heart if you begin to drift and to stray from God in your heart. The third step I want you to see is ignorance of God's ways. Ignorance of God's ways. Notice he goes on to say again in verse 10, they, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. They have not known my ways. Now, does that seem a little odd? Here we're talking about the, the children of Israel, re reminding you again of, uh, of all those things that we talked about that God did to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his faithfulness, to demonstrate his character, to demonstrate his grace, to demonstrate his love and his mercy and his care for them. And yet he says, they have not known my ways. They have not known my ways. You know, the word know in Scripture is a relational word. It's used of intimacy. So again, these people had seen all these things about God, but they didn't, they had no relationship with God. They didn't know God. And they disregarded all those things. They willingly ignored, if you will, what they'd seen God do and say, and they ignored and did not trust God's character. You know, in the parable of the talents and the pounds, if you remember the, 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 the fellow who, uh, who took uh, his one talent pound and pound and buried it in the ground, you remember how his response was and what his answer was or for why he did that? Because he said, because you're, a, you're hard, you know, and he, was, he basically said, I, you know, I, I knew you were a hard man. So, so he didn't trust his master. And so, folks, that's exactly the, this, this characteristic on the path of a hardened heart is someone who really doesn't trust God's character. They've seen what God has done. They've heard what God has done. They've heard the gospel. They've recognized the way that God has demonstrated his love and grace, and they really do not know God's ways. They do not know God and know him in a personal way, and they don't trust his character. So let me ask you today, do you know God's ways? Do you trust God? Do you trust his character? Do you honestly believe even in those toughest times, even in those situations in your life that you don't understand, 
You don't know what God is doing. You can't get your skinny brain around it. You don't know what God's up to. But at the same time, do you trust his character? Do you know that God is good? Do you know that God is holy? And you believe that about him? They did not know his ways. Ignorance of God's ways is one of the steps on the path toward a hardened heart. Could that be true of you today? The fourth step I want you to see is falling away from the living God. Falling away from the living God. And this perhaps could be uh, even the last uh, one that we could mention today, but I'm looking at the text in, in order of where they come in the passage. So he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. The English word here for this word, fall away, is the word, is the word from which we get the word apostasy. And uh, the, our English word apostasy comes from this word is what I'm intending to say. And it's translated fall away. Uh, or it also could describe, describe defection or rebellion against established authority. So again, uh, true believers, by the way, cannot ultimately fall away. And I want to just, again, affirm the truth in Scripture of what we often say as Baptists as uh, eternal security, the perseverance of the saints. We know that's taught, and the book of Hebrews is very clear about that beautiful doctrine as well. But I again believe there, we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but there is often a misunderstanding and even a misapplication of that, especially among Baptists and among us. And, and, and this matter he's describing here is he's warning them, as we're going to see in a few moments, about falling away, about uh, being, becoming an apostate. And the, the, a true believer cannot go there. So again, he's warning them uh, to, to not to go there and, and, uh, because, again, that will be an indication that they are not true believers. So true believers cannot fully fall away or defect from the faith, but professing believers can. Those who may be a, just a professor but not a possessor. Someone who, is, who, who believes or who thinks or is deceived in thinking that they are a believer, but they are not truly a believer. So again, he's giving a, a warning once again in this about, about falling away. And that is one of, again, the, the steps, if you will, on this path toward a hardened heart. And then number five, another step is deception by sin. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, once again. He says, but exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. You recognize the word deceitfulness means trickery. Uh, I, I just want to remind you that sin, the power of sin, often personified in Scripture, especially as you read Romans 6, 7, and 8, personified in Scripture, the power of sin is a liar. Sin within us is a liar. Satan, Jesus said very clearly, the devil is a liar. Satan is a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. He disguises himself as an angel of light, and he deceives, and he tricks. And sin is trickery, the deceitfulness, the trickery of sin. You know, you think about these people again. How are they being uh, on the path and, and, and toward, toward being deceived? Well, again, they're being tempted to believe that returning back to Judaism would be better for them, that it would be safer for them. There would be less likelihood as we, uh, that they would have to undergo persecution. 
It would be easier for them. It, they, would, uh, they would enjoy greater acceptance by their family, and so life would be better. And after all, they still have plenty of friends in Judaism who seem to be doing just fine. They have family members who are getting along fine without Jesus, they, they, they may think. And, and after all, they could just kind of have Jesus on the side. They could go back and, and still kind of have Beth's to both for. So they're being deceived. They're being tempted with deception. How does that work in our lives? Oh, there's so many ways we could talk about. Uh, the power of sin says with us, within us, you know, this is really not sin. This is really not sin. It's not so bad. And, and after all, you know, there are many different interpretations of Scripture. That's one of the ways sin deceives. You know, there, I know a pastor over here, I know a church over here that believes that's okay, who thinks that's really all right. And, and so it's really not that bad. And after all, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Doesn't God want me to? Or God made me this way, you know? So he wants me to be happy. Do you hear that kind of language today? Dear friend, that is the language of deception. That is the language of deception, the language of sin and Satan that are deceptive. We hear it more and more in our world. You know, that was then and this is now and, and, and twisting and trying to make Scripture say what we want it to say to accommodate. And then even, even when a person knows it's wrong and whatever that sin may be, for example, someone who may be tempted in an affair and they say, well, you know, my husband is, doesn't love me or my wife is not meeting my needs. And so... It's justified that I might go this way. In various ways, the, the, the enemy is lying. The enemy is lying. So, dear friend, I want to warn you and remind you, Satan is a liar. Sin is a liar. Don't be deceived. Again, to an unbeliever, as we, we think about it, that the unbeliever, again, uh, will be deceived towards sin. And, 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 and we'll talk about that more in a moment. That's why Scripture says, friend, I want to remind you, you can be deceived. That's why Scripture says in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Don't be deceived. That's one of the steps on the path toward a hardened heart. But number seven, disobedience toward God. Verse 18, once again, he describes their, their sin in, in verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. They were disobedient. You know, the Bible talks about even disobeying the gospel. We respond by the grace of God in repentance and faith, but we obey the gospel. And, and really, that's what sin is. It's disobedience. Unbelief in the heart leads to disobedience in the life. Obeying God, on the other hand, is an evidence of knowing God. All through, through the book of 1 John, read it. It's one of the indications and the evidences of being saved. 1 John 2, 3 says, And by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Does that mean we never mess up? We never disobey? No, but it means that the, our lifestyle is a lifestyle of obedience. A person who is truly a follower of Christ. A disobedient lifestyle is an evidence of a hardened heart. And a hardened heart starts with unbelief in the heart, but is acted out in negativity, as, as we see in the lives of the children of Israel. Negativity and complaining and, and rebellion 
toward God. That's exactly what happened among the children of Israel. They were acting out the rebellion of their heart. So again, I remind you, Satan is a deceiver. He deceives you with a lie that, uh, again, believer friend, he deceives you with a lie that you can get away with that sin or that it is justified. An unbeliever, he deceives you with his lie today. If you're here as an unbeliever, listen to me. He deceives you with this lie. You You have plenty of time. You're, you're still young. You, you're, you can do that later. You don't have to be saved. You don't have to come to the Lord. You can do that later. Just put it off. Enjoy your life. Enjoy yourself. You don't want to do that right now. You have plenty of time. You don't need to be saved. Dear friend, I want to remind you, Satan is a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. Don't listen to him. Don't harden your heart. You see these steps on the path toward a hardened heart. But second, notice with me, if you will, the penalty for a hardened heart. The penalty for a hardened heart. He uses the rebellious children of Israel, again, as an example of those who continue down this path of a hardened heart. And he's warning these professing believers not to harden their hearts. And if, if they do, they will, there will be penalty for their sin. So notice with me two consequences, if you will, in this penalty. First of all, being under God's holy anger. Being under God's holy anger. Again, notice verse 10. He uses this language when he, when he says, therefore I was provoked or also translated angry with that generation and said they go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. And I, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You know, some people don't like to think about God as being an angry God. And, and please understand, when you think about the anger or the wrath of God, and I like to use that term, holy anger, because it helps us. We tend to want to think about our anger. And so often, we are people in our, in our humanity, in our fallen sinfulness, we tend to to get angry when we shouldn't get angry, and we tend to not get angry when we ought to get, when we ought to get angry. We tend to call it at the wrong time. So don't see this as God just flies off the handle and he gets over it. Oh no, dear friend. What do we, what do we mean when we talk about the holy anger of God? God's wrath, God's holy anger has been defined as the settled passionate opposition to sin. And our, in his holiness, listen, God has to be angry against sin because God is holy. This is holy anger, holy wrath against sin. And I want to remind you of something. The cross is as much about God's holy anger, God's holy wrath against sin as it is about God's holy love towards sinners. Did you know that? It's God's holy wrath. We see both the the wrath of God demonstrated at the cross and the Again, the love of God demonstrated the cross because God being holy and being, being who he is as God without sin, God, God, again, had to punish sin. He had to punish sin. That's why all the way back in the garden when man sinned, God had warned them, God had told them there will be a penalty. It's going to be death. You will surely die. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't fall over dead immediately, but the process of death began that has now been spread to all people. This process of this reality of death and and not only physical death, but spiritual death, eternal death, separation from God 
forever that culminates in a terrible place called hell for eternity. And that is exactly the, the penalty of sin. That is why there is God's holy wrath and, 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 and what was poured out deservedly upon all sinners. But then that's where the good news comes in. Amen? That's where the good news comes in. That that's why God sent the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who came to this earth, who lived a perfect, sinless life, the eternal God, the creator God, as we've seen him already in Hebrews, who lived a perfect, sinless life and one day went to the cross. And the Bible tells us that on that cross, that he became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the Bible tells us that on that cross, all, all, all of God's holy wrath against sin was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He took our hell, if you will, on the cross. He was buried and he rose the third day and he's alive today. And again, through our turning from our sin, repentance and faith in Christ and his finished work, trusting in him and him alone to save us, we can be forgiven forevermore. We no longer have to live under the fear of God's eternal wrath. What glorious good news that is about what Jesus has done for us. Has that happened in your life? Has there been that time in your life when you repented of your sin and placed your faith in him? So, so then what, what do we think about in relationship? If this is a word to professing believers, if we don't fear God's holy wrath, listen, we do fear God, however, don't we? We have a, a holy awe of God. We fear God, and we know that God in his love disciplines those who are his children. So if we begin down the path of, of hardening our heart, even as believers, uh, to, to, to God will deal with us. God will lovingly discipline us, correct us, restore us. Hebrews teaches that, that if you don't have the discipline of God, you are not his. You're not his child. And ultimately, I, I believe Scripture teaches that if God disciplines us and we don't repent, God will take us out. He'll take us home. And I believe that happens all too often. Uh, but again, what, what do we, when we think about this, what is the application toward unbelievers, including those who profess to be his children but have not truly repented of their sin and they still have God's eternal wrath upon them. John 3, 36, Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So dear friend, again, uh, if you're here and you've never repented of sin, truly, whether you've joined the church, whether your name is on a roll or not, but if you've not truly repented, the Bible says the wrath of God remains on you. And if you continue in that condition, the Bible says you will spend eternity apart from Christ in that terrible place called hell. Bill Newton concludes, if God was angry with the people to whom he graciously revealed himself and the might of his power, how much more with those who have heard the gospel, felt its beauty, sensed its urgency, yet have turned away in stubborn defiance. Being under God's holy anger, holy wrath. But a second penalty I want to mention is being unable to enter God's rest unable to enter God's rest. He says there to the children of Israel from Psalm 95, he says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Because of their rebellious, hardened, unbelieving heart, God finally did not allow that generation of the children of Israel to enter his rest in the land 
he had promised. What is the rest to which he is referring here? Well, the original meaning was, of course, the, the, the land of Canaan, the land of promise. That's what, when God told that to the original generation, that it was, was what he was referring to. However, even for the psalmist in Psalm 95, he was writing from the Canaan land. He was already in the land when he wrote this. So there was more than just a physical application of this rest. It was more than just the land of Canaan. And certainly for us, and as believers, we know uh, that, is, that is true. So again, some believe and believe that he's talking about heaven, that he's referring to heaven when he talks about Canaan land. A lot of the songs were written about, uh, you know, stormy, the, I'm standing on Jordan's stormy banks and, and we're talking, it talks about heaven there, using that analogy of Canaan land being heaven land. Well, there's some truth to that. Ultimately, ultimately, uh, our rest will culminate as believers in the presence of God forever. But again, I remind you, in Canaan land, there were battles. Aren't you glad when we get to heaven, there won't be? In Canaan land, there was sin. There won't be any of that in heaven, amen? And so, again, he, it's more than that. Uh, I want to just, and we'll talk more about it next Sunday. I remind you from Hebrews 4, 9, he says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In 4.11, he says, let us strive to enter that rest. So, uh, so here he's really, I, I would say that as one commentary puts it, rest points to a place of blessing where there is no more striving, but only relaxation in the presence of God and in the certainty that there is no cause for fear. Again, Phil Newton defines it as the spiritual rest of relationship with the Lord. And that's where God wants us all to be and enjoying this relationship with Christ with that peace of God passing all understanding, guarding our heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Peace with God, peace of God, the rest for the people of God. Well, let me just say as we think about the penalties of a hardened heart, one of the greatest penalties of, a, of hardening of the heart is further hardening of the heart by God in judgment. We see that in Pharaoh. And again, it's a very dangerous place to be. Jonathan Edwards wrote about the hardening of the heart. He said, a hard heart clearly implies an unaffected heart or a heart that is not readily moved with virtuous affections. He said, like a stone, it is insensible, stupid, unmoved, and hard to impress. Hence, a hard heart in Scripture is called a stony heart as opposed to a heart of flesh that has feelings and is sensibly touched and moved. And of course, Jesus in the parable of the soils, the first place that the soil, of the, the seed of the gospel fell on was on stony ground, picturing the stony heart. And so, dear friend, that's a very dangerous place to be. And so I warn you today from this passage about the, the penalty for a hardened heart. But I want you to see finally, thirdly, the prevention of a hardened heart. The prevention, or we might call it even the cure of a hardened heart. First of all, notice the first thing we must do is listen to God's warning. Listen to, and when I say listen, I mean listen in response of obedience. Listen to God's warning. We see that all throughout this passage. I won't read them all, but in verse 7 again, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Again, he's affirming the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Scripture, uh, that, God, that when the Word of God speaks, God speaks. The Holy Spirit inspired every word, and he's 
speaks today through the Word of God. And then he shows the urgency by repeating this warning again as he's given it to us. Today, if you hear his voice. In fact, in, in verse chapter 3 and 4, he uses this word three times. Today. All together in the book of Hebrews, eight times he uses that term today. 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 Why would he talk about today? Well, again, uh, he's speaking of the urgency of the moment. Because we all know that when we speak about today, we know that today is going to end, right? There's going to be an end of today when there will be no more today. And so he's warning them. He's warning them, you still have time today. You still have an opportunity. Don't harden your heart. Don't put this off because today's going to end. There will be no more time. There will be no more opportunity. And so he's warning them about the urgency of what he's warning them today concerning this matter of the hardened heart. And then notice down to verse 12, again, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any uh, of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What strong language. The word take care, as it's translated here, also translated see to it, or beware, or watch out. So again, there was a danger here, a, a terrible danger of returning back to uh, Judaism. And, and I would say to you today, while you may not be, as we've said, tempted with the same thing, you may be tempted to turn back to the flesh, to turn back to your old way of life. I can think about many people, and I know you can too, who have made professions of faith, indicated they were believers. And yet, where are they today? Some of them profess faith publicly. They they went through the baptistry. They got on the roll. Maybe they soon uh, got in a class or they maybe even served in various capacities. But today, they're at least, they're not found among God's people. And they've returned to their old way of life, to, to the lostness of life in, the, in their behavior. And so again, he's warning them, beware, take care, see to it, watch out. There's danger here. And it's a present tense verb here, verb reminding us that we must always, as believers, be diligent diligent, diligent to avoid drifting into unbelief and toward hardening our heart against the Lord. So the first thing, again, we must do is listen to God's warning. And so today I want to urge you, listen to the warning of God. The Word of God, this is not just this preacher talking to you, dear friend. This is God's Word. The Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. God is warning you lovingly. Many today, many today have not heard this warning. They're still in their sin. They've never heard the name of Jesus. But many of you in this room have Sunday after Sunday, week after week, day after day, people have lovingly shared the gospel with you and told you that you could repent of your sin and you could come to faith in Jesus, but you continue to harden your heart. And so today I plead with you, do not continue to harden your heart. Take care. Listen to God's loving warning to you. But second, second, encourage one another daily. The path toward, again, prevention is to encourage one another. Notice verse 13. This is a word to the church today. It's a word to the church. But exhort one another every 
day. Encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's speaking to the church. He's saying, here's one of the one another's. Here's one of your responsibilities. There are many of them in Scripture. This is why we need the church. This is why we need each other. And we have all, every one of us, a corporate and personal responsibility to obey this warning. Not only personally, but now we have responsibility to each other. How often does he say we're to do this, church? How often are we to do this? Tell me. Every day. Every day. You see, a lot of people think, you know, I just come to church every once in a while. I just gather with the people of God when I don't have anything else going on. You know, I'll just come. And, 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 I, and we have many folks who will say, you know, Sunday worship's okay with me, or, or Sunday school's all I really need. That's all I really want. But dear friend, the Bible's describing here a, an involvement in one another's lives. We are, the Bible says, we are members of one another. And every day, we need each other through discipleship, through worship, through fellowship, through prayer, through discipline of one another, through correction of one another lovingly. We have a responsibility. That's why there's the church. That's why we need each other. That's why we as a church have Sunday school. That's why we have community groups. That's why we urge you to be a part of one another's lives, not just once a week, but daily to hold one another accountable, to call one another, to pray for one another, to be in each other's lives, to do life together. Because dear friend, we're weak. We're sinful. We can so easily fall into the flesh and God has so designed it that as members of one another in the body of Christ, we must have each other. We must have one another to hold one another accountable and to help us in this process of persevering and preventing hardening of the heart. He mentions it more than once in Hebrews. Again, in that famous passage, we'll see Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Stir up one another. Have you been thinking about how you can stir up one another? That's your responsibility. Think about it. Pray about it. Consider it. Study it. How we can stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another daily. Oh, dear friend, are you carrying that out? Are you fulfilling that responsibility? But thirdly, in the prevention of a hardened heart, continue firm in the faith until the end, until Jesus calls us home. Amen. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful way to describe who we are as believers. We're sharing. We're partners in Christ. We're in His family. We're in the body together with Him. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We saw this last Sunday in verse 3, verse 6. That again, we, one of the evidences that we know we're saved is again that we continue firm to the end. I remind you, He's not saying that we have to keep ourselves saved by continuing, but that we give evidence that we are saved by continuing firm in in the faith until the end. The opposite is also true. First John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Wayne Grudem, a systematic theology writer, says the purpose is never to make those who are presently trusting in Christ to worry that sometime in the future they might fall away. He's saying, 
The purpose of texts like this one and others is not to make you worry that you're going to lose your salvation. No, that's not it. Or to think that you can't be sure. That's not true either. Rather, it is to warn those who are thinking of falling away or have fallen away that, they do this, that, that if they do this, it is a strong indication that they were never saved in the first place. Dear friend, Again, many, many, many people are deceived today. As a pastor now of 30 plus years, I've had many conversations with people when I've talked to them about their relationship with Christ. They say, oh yeah, oh yeah. Got that preacher, got that covered. I made a decision down there when I was a little boy or a little girl, if it was a girl. And, uh, and I made that decision and you know, I joined the church and I was baptized. Now, you know, I'm not going to church anymore. I backslidden. I know it. <laughs> I'm, I'm backslidden. And yes, I've seen that kind of an attitude, like it's no big deal. But, but I, got it, I got it all taken care of. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I know I am. And what, what, what often happens? Well, we kind of think, well, what do I do now? You know, they say they've been saved. Or we may even have people that say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I've been saved. And you know what some well-meaning people do, but wrong people, well-meaning, they say, oh, I remember when you made that decision. I was there. I remember when you prayed that prayer. I was there when you got baptized. Everything's okay. Don't be worried about that. You're all right. You're okay. I know you're all right. And sometimes, again, maybe being well-meaning, we, we are falsely giving false assurance to people who shouldn't have assurance. Because the Bible makes it clear that those who are truly saved give evidence of it and they persevere until the end. Do they ever stumble along the way? Don't we? Absolutely we do. But again, we have one another to help pick each other up and, and get back on the right path and, and to continue persevering. But oh, dear friend, I want to tell you we're in a dangerous place today. And, and I just want to urge you today that, that if you are in that place, that you recognize, again, that true repentance and faith lead to a changed life. And I want to say several things to you today as we, as we close this message. First of all, I want to say to you as a believer, guard your heart against unbelief. Guard your heart against a hardened heart. And then again to you as a church today, I want to encourage you to encourage one another. Get involved in Sunday school. Get involved in the community group. Stay connected. Stay accountable. And to you as a church family, I want to urge you, because we're in this process of, of every member matters and membership matters, and, 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 and maybe this is, it is new to you, and, and for many it's, it's still hard to understand, but we're trying to be a biblical church. Just as you thought it was biblical as a parent to discipline your children, it's, it's biblical to discipline members when they have fallen away or forsaken the church. To hurt them? No. To clean our roads so we can look better? No. To lovingly discipline people in an effort to restore them ultimately. And, and, and so please help us with this, encourage us in this, support us in this as we try to be biblical. Thirdly, I want to urge you today, examine your faithfulness. If there is no real evidence of repentance, stop pretending. Repent. Don't harden your heart. Don't go on pretending. Number four, unbeliever, I urge you today, don't harden your heart. It's today. 
It's still today. But there can come a time when you can harden your heart as Pharaoh did to the point where God hardens your heart in judgment. And I would urge you today, do not harden your heart. Don't say no. Don't say no. Don't harden your heart. Because a tomorrow is going to come when it will be too late. So I urge you today, I urge you today, I plead with you today, turn from your sin, place your faith in Jesus, give your heart and life to him today. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.